Welcome back to Transformative Teaching, a Facet at IU podcast. Katie Metz, Michael Maroney, guest. Hey, everybody. How's everything going, Michael? It's going okay. It's going okay. I'm excited about our conversation today. We have have three people that work in in business schools. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that. This group is, um, and I would say I call myself attorney adjacent. Yeah, (laughs) you're definitely attorney adjacent. And then we've got lawyers and lawyers. Attorney, attorney. And we've all done some work with teaching in the tax area. <laughs> yeah, so Andrew Swain, assistant professor of business law at the Judd Layton School of Business and Economics at IUSB. Facet class of fresh is what I'll call it, 2023. <laughs> yeah. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. How's your summer? So far, so good. It's, it's actually, I'm, I'm uh, obviously trying to transition in the, back into in the school mindset and get my classes uh uh, ready, but I, it must have been a good summer because I'm having a hard time losing the, the, the summer mindset and <laughs> yeah, back into it. I feel you on that. We all are. Yeah, August first rolled around, and I went, "Wait, what? How's that happen?" <laughs> so glad to hear that. Did we just kind of slow rolling back in here? Um, Andrew, let's start with the most recent thing from our perspective, which is Facet Class of 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael and I spent a lot of time assisting people with the dossier creation, assisting the campuses with the dossier review. Tell me the most fascinating or reflective part of your dossier preparation for your facet um, induction, I would say. Uh, well, I mean, it was much more involved than I, than I thought. I mean, uh, when, obviously when I, when I was first nominated a couple of years, I was actually nominated two years ago and, and I began the process back then and uh and i and, and like i said it was much more involved than i than i initially thought but then uh then i you know but i slowly put things together i submitted it and then uh they you know came back obviously wanted me to make some some changes to it and and i at that time i could not uh, i didn't have time to make those changes because i was i had just been tasked with writing the uh, annual tax survey for the iu uh, mckinney uh um, ball review and and the deadline for submitting that was the exact same deadline I had to resubmit the the, the facet dossier, and I didn't want to lose this opportunity to, to do that uh, annual tax review, so they let me you know put it on hold and I applied again you know the you know the, the second year and then it was it was uh, then it really seemed a little bit more easier because I had a lot of the work done and yeah. I already and I had the comments from the you know help very helpful comments from the uh, committee so it was a lot easier to. Uh, you know, to you know, make corrections and, and, and to get the job done. And then as it turns out, I, I found that a lot of the things that I did on the facet dossier, I've been able to cannibalize and use for my my tenure, my reappointment dossier every year and and also for, you know, teaching awards. So so I found it's uh, ultimately an extremely helpful process in addition to the fact that it helped me get in the in the, in the facet. Well, we're, we're glad, glad you managed to find the time to do it. That's awesome. <laughs> And um, being being in the in the legal field, um, so coming out of law school, the way teaching happens in law school um, is not necessarily the way we go about it in in, in our classes uh, when we're teaching undergrads. And I, I'm assuming you primarily teach undergrads. Is that right? Uh, I actually teach both. I, I teach, teach both primary okay. primary uh, uh, undergrads, but I have to I have, I have one uh, graduate class in the MBA program. Yeah, so, and, so and it's what, a business, and it's a business law class. Okay, well, what's kind of your overall approach to to teaching? What's what, what what's kind of your go to? 
Well, I mean, my, my go-to after having done this for, for a while, because as I told you, I, I started teaching as an adjunct back in 2012, and, and I've slowly uh, developed a, a, an appreciation and a dependence on experiential learning. And, and when, I, when I first started teaching back in 2012, as, as again, as, for, as an adjunct for the IU McKinney Law School, uh, I was asked to teach a, a partnership tax class. And it was it was a great opportunity that the, the professor that they had that was teaching it left for a, at the end of the school year for for another opportunity. So so I was you know I was approached to do it. I, I'd been wanting to get in teaching for for quite some time at the time. My full time time job was uh, chief counsel to the attorney general. I was running the uh, tax litigation for the state at that time. So so I got into so I so I accepted that that task and and I put my class together. And you know, and presented it the first semester. I thought it went well, but then when I was looking at the uh, the reviews, uh, you know, the reviews were well, Swain was a, a likable professor. He obviously obviously was very knowledgeable about the, uh, the 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 material, but I have no idea how to translate any of this to a tax return. <laughs> and 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 I and I and when I read that, I just kicked myself because that. You know, I taught that class. You know, I'd gotten an LLM in, in tax from the from uh, University of Denver, uh, part of their tax graduate tax program. So my model for teaching partnership tax was was similar to the way it was taught to me when I was in that LLM program, and I had the exact same reaction when I got out of the LLM program. The student had after they got out of my class is that yeah, you know, a lot of information, but uh, you know, how does any of this make any sense in the real world? So I, I kicked myself for think, for making the exact same mistake that I'd already experienced when I got out of the, out of the tax program. So obviously I knew I needed to uh, make some some adjustments. So so looking back at the way that I felt that I'd always learned best, it was always from hands-on learning. Yeah, I mean, that's how I, you know the courses I had in law school, the ones where you actually you know the, the mock trial classes. When I did a, I did a, a internship in a public defender's office for a year. Mm -hmm. For a year, you know, I got more out of those classes than I did any of the any of the lecture classes that I, I wanted uh, that I'd taken. So, so based on that, my, my intuitive uh, leanings were, were were doing some type of hands on. Uh, so did learning. you out and did you like work with somebody at that well, point? Well, no, I didn't. See, that, and that was the thing. Oh, I, at okay. that point, I didn't have any any understanding of any of the, you know, the scholarship or learning and teaching, you know, I didn't know anything about pedagogy. I didn't know anything about any of that. So, so I was just going with my intuition based mm -hmm. on, on, you know, where I thought there were holes in my education, you know, current, you know, when I got out of school and then, and, and then, and then the places where I didn't have any holes were, were all a result of hands-on learning. So, yeah. so that was my, so I, I initially started intuitively and that's where I tried to develop, uh, you know, my class around, trying to you know educate them regarding partnership law and, and tax accounting but then doing it in the context of you know how is this information going to get onto a, on a, onto a 10k or or onto you know onto the you know partnership tax return uh so so that's and that's what i did and then and then I, and then and then i developed my exam around that as well so then at the end of the you know so, so essentially i'd have a you know i, I start out the first day i'd say okay well we're going to cover partnership tax and, and, and here, and we're going to pretend like uh, you got a client coming into you for the very first time, mm -hmm. and here's the facts that they're going to give you, 
And now we're going to talk about these facts for the rest of the semester in, in different contexts and, and, mm. and explain how, where they go into the onto the return. And and that's and that's kind of how I approached the, you know the class. And then and then their exam was 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 very similar. Then I started getting the reviews that I wanted to see, which was you know now I you know I understand how to you know, I feel like I can go out and actually represent a client when, when I get out of this class. And that's what I was looking for. So, yeah, so Katie, Katie, do you, I mean, I'm curious, I know you teach kind of similar stuff. Yeah, do we you, do. What's your approach? Is it similar? Yeah. So, um, Andrew, uh, we, we do a very similar, uh, class schedule. I teach kind of some on the financial reporting side as well, but one of the issues that we had in our undergrad program here in Bloomington was getting the buy-in for the tax component being a very important piece of undergrad student in particular is accounting degrees. And so in 2019, I actually went through a complete overhaul with one of my colleagues of our federal tax class. And um, we talk a lot, a lot about active learning on this podcast, doing exactly the strategy you were doing, Andrew. One of the things we did as part of that overhaul is completely eliminated exams. We don't give exams at all in our federal tax class and my sections and um, my colleague Bridget Stomberg sections anymore, because we want them to do those hands-on comprehensive projects throughout the semester and then be able to translate that into the other components of their um, careers or interests. And what I have found, which is actually kind of hilarious, and I'm sure you've heard these comments too, Andrew, is that a lot of students come up to me and say, I wish I had taken this class sooner because I actually think I like tax. I didn't know that. And now I'm going to like an audit job or an advisor. I'm happy I'm doing that, but tax is actually like sort of fun. So the buy-in of this, the actual like, oh, this is useful was really difficult for us in our um, team to implement. And one that continues to be something that we have to use a lot of really thoughtful strategy to, to facilitate a, like you said, maybe an approachable or digestible class and it is not a digestible subject I say as I'm preparing my fall class well and I so I have a follow-up for both of you here on this the, so a, what a lot of people will say about active learning is that it takes time out of the class where you could be presenting more content and I'm wondering um, what the both of you and a, Andrew I'll have you go first what what do you think about that do you think your students are learning more or less well, I mean, engagement with active learning. Well, I can see that would be a problem if you don't apply other strategies, and, that, and that's why I would apply strategies like like a flipped class, where I where I would try to give some of that instruction outside of class, either through you know the typical uh, readings of textbooks. But what I what I but what I would more try to do was would have recorded lectures that I'd have them watch outside mm -hmm. of class okay. that would kind of provide some of that background. Yeah, and then when they come into class, then actually try to apply it and use it. So, you know, using those two strategies together, I feel like they're actually learning more than they would be if I was just lecturing or if I was just one day showing up, I need to do this exercise in a vacuum and they wouldn't have any idea what I, what I was talking about. Yeah, and same approach here. I do recorded lectures, um, really, really small ones, 10 to 20 minutes right. per module or per class session, I call them yep. modules. And one thing that I, I tell my students all the time, especially in a discipline where, um, Michael, your immigration law is, is similar boat here um where it's changing all the time and i say i always tell my students i could tell you the percentages i can tell you what the standard deduction is for this year it changed um for married filing jointly eight hundred dollars that is it one of the things changed ten dollars but i am not in the business of memorize and regurgitate that is not what my job is my job is to help you understand how to read the law 
and then contextualize that for a situation that you're seeing in my class or that you would run into later. So for me, the content piece of it, um, learning the rules is something that I almost feel like is um, secondary to the, the learning process, the application process of that content. And they do a lot more of that in my class because the active learning strategies, I mean, they come into my class every single day and have 10 points associated with investigative learning, go to the code and find the answer mm-hmm. to this practical problem about independent contractors or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, I, I Andrew, I see you shaking your head there. No, no, I agree. And, <laughs> and see, and, and, and it's that approach that, you know, there's the, there's the, you know, understanding and, and memorizing the rules, but then as Katie's pointing out, there's the application. Yeah. And, 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 and I had that obviously in that, in that partnership tax class, but then, you know, the, then the next step was, is how do I apply that same concept to a business law class? Because mm-hmm. you got a bunch of people who are not, you know, they're, they're smart. You know, obviously, some of them are getting MBA, some are they're trying to get their undergrad business degree, but, you know, they're not necessarily going to be attorneys, but they got to know something about the law because that's obviously important in, in, the, in, in the business world. So, so how can I convey some of that where, where it's just not just them memorizing rules how you know, how can i get them to actually apply those rules yeah and and then the next important yeah. part is i always tell them you know there is is the persuasive part you know, there's i always, I always like in business law and and, and learning business law similar to like learning a language yep you know, on one hand you know there's the memorizing of the terms the words and know, know all the different meanings but at some point you have to communicate and that and that's the hard part yeah and that comes Andrew, with practice it's, it's so funny you say that because i first couple of weeks, especially, and especially in undergrad, I say, this is like, I say, this is so funny. This is like learning a new language and you're going to feel like I'm speaking a different language a lot, <laughs> but that translation into how you can practically apply that. And Michael, I think, um, to kind of relate this back to your current discipline, I know you're an attorney by practice, but in the communication side, unlike yeah. communication skills and presentations and writing in particular, Students don't think they need to know business law to be successful marketers. They don't think they need to know tax law to be successful in an assurance or an advisory practice in public accounting. And so that buy-in, like Andrew was just talking about, I think is really critical in how we set up our classes because they come in not know, um, even if they think they might like it, they don't see the value long-term right away. Yep. Yeah. You know, and I have that too. Like, you know, they come in, I understand why I'm, why am I taking this business law class when I want to, when I'm wanting to start my own business. And so, you know, and that's part of my job is trying to educate them. understand a big part of a business is, is protecting your assets and you got to understand the law in order to be able to do that. You got to understand tort law. You got to understand contract law. Those are the people who do, who do understand it. If you don't, they're going to figure out how to take advantage of you. And and again, I'm always telling the students, I'm not asking you to become attorneys, but you got to understand enough of the process so that you can at least evaluate what your attorneys are telling you because all attorneys are going to want to tell you nothing but good news. And you have to be able to evaluate that properly to make, you know, make sure that they're really telling you, you know, the, you know, the straight, uh, straight poop. So I tell my students, they need to understand political commercials. You need to understand what people are saying when you see them on commercials, trying to tell you what they're going to do for tax policy and whether that's real. So that might not be that useful, but what what the two of you are teaching is really at that intersection of law and accounting. Right. And like, literally the, this is the language of business. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And so, right. and, and, say, and, I, and I'm honest with them. I tell me you know, on one hand, you know, highly critical for your degree because you, you can't do business unless you understand how, how, how the law works. You can't start a, you can't start a corporation unless you know all the administrative legal 
hurdles you have to jump through in order to start that. So, so, so it's, it's critically important. So don't lose sight of that, but just for my own personal uh, uh, enjoyment, I'm glad to force you to have to listen, take this class because I don't think you can be good citizens without yes. having some understanding of the law. It's really true, and it, right? And unfortunately, a lot of this is not taught in high school anymore, which right. it was when I was in school. Because I always point out to students in seventh grade, I did a paper on electoral college and 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 <laughs> and presidents winning the popular vote and losing the electoral or, or winning the electoral college and losing the electoral vote. So I understood that back in seventh grade. And there's a lot of people that don't understand that as adults. That's true. And, and so, so I, so, I, so I say I get a lot of enjoyment out of you guys having to take this class, not only because it's important for your degree, but I think it's important for your life. Well, and in business, um, especially I teach seniors in my undergrad class mostly, and they're getting job offers. And so I love my fringe benefits conversation because I say, oh, your salary looks great you know, what are you missing out on or what are you not receiving or, oh, your salary feels a little lower. You're excited that you get Cubs tickets or whatever it may be. And having them do a little bit more investigation into their own personal um, choices, I would say, if they have those choices. And it's really fascinating. I get a lot of them who think they're committing tax fraud, though. Maybe I need to, re- <laughs> need to rethink some of the wording I'm That's using when I talk about of... sales and use tax. So. Wow. I, so I'm curious. Um, I, you know, I, I think about this, uh, the, the, the need to understand the rules and regulations and policies and practices and, and all of those things. Um, and, and I'm thinking in t- around how generative AI will play a role in our current students' ability to function when they graduate and what we need to do to, to prepare them um, Given that we generative AI is going to have uh, an important role in their in their lives moving forward, so I'm I'm just kind of wondering, what are you thinking about with your teaching and learning with this, Andrew and and Katie? I'm interested in hearing what you have to say too. I'm actually working on my generative AI policy for the class I'm teaching this semester, so I might steal some ideas here. By the way, well, I mean, my biggest concern of of all the classes I teach right now, the only one where the AI really I think plays an important role is I, I teach also business and society, which uh, you know, I, I'm not 100% sure how it's supposed to be taught. But of course, I made it more more legal oriented. So that's that's my, my background. So I was focusing on 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 how how you know what you know what what you know what laws does society use to try to regulate you know um, um, and, and keep a business in check. So, but but in conjunction with that with that uh, the, with the subsidy portion of the class, I also have to teach uh, library literacy so mm-hmm. there's a so there's a research paper requirement so so i become last semester i i've had the first time i had a couple papers i thought just seemed kind of mechanically written so that's when i first became concerned about maybe ai being used to maybe generate some papers or at least portions of them so like you that's why I, this is the first time this first year i had to actually worry about a having a an ai uh statement in my in my syllabus so yeah how about you katie so I take the approach that ChatGBT is not an attorney and also not a tax practitioner or an accountant. Right. Right. And um, I it's tell not. Them, it's not. <laughs> it is not. I tell my students ahead of time, kind of something to that extent. Um, and from my perspective, it, it was like this with Wikipedia when like there was a point in time when people loved that they could edit things on Wikipedia. It's kind of gone away a little bit until most niche groups are trying to be funny. Um, 
AI is a fantastic resource for brainstorming, for creative thought, um, but it cannot be the end result for anybody right. ever. And so I think on one hand, I'm fortunate to not be teaching Andrew's classes about society or library, no, I'm kidding. Um, but then I'm in a, in a discipline where AI hasn't caught up to the technical stuff yet. And even if it has, it's not contextualizing it correctly, um, right. while still having the opportunity to teach my students how to use AI in a productive way for themselves. I don't think that a that banning things with AI, do not use AI to write your cover letter, do not use AI to do XYZ is um, realistic for them because AI is yeah. going to become part of our careers, yep. part of their careers. And it's something that they're going to have to use. So if I can teach them how to use it um, responsibly and productively, I, that that's kind of my approach. And, and like I said, I think I am privileged that I can use, that I have the boundaries just by nature of my discipline to be able to tell them that. Like if you Google this, or if you chat GPT this, you're probably gonna get the wrong answer. Um, yeah. AI doesn't do math according to my students. No, it doesn't do it very well. That's which is kind of nice. But it's like improving every day. It is, it is, but yeah. it's not contextualizing in ways that are productive for that critical thought that we engage in, in flipped classes or active learning. Yeah, yeah so- And, see, and I'm, see, I'm, I'm not been too worried about it yet in my business law classes, because, you know, I, 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 again, I do a lot of mock jury exercises in class that I can't use it for that. Right. And, and I only have one briefing exercise, which I suppose they could use it for, for, for that, but, I, but I've kind of tried to test the, the uh, chat GPT, or if that's what it's called, to, just to see whether or not it can produce something. And, and, and it just doesn't. It's, eh. it, yeah, it, I think it deletes words. It doesn't contextualize, yeah. it just delete. It, it makes things concise without actually, de without contextualizing. Right. And uh, so, I, but I, I don't know. I think we don't ban it, right? We teach productivity. And Michael, I'm sure in your writing classes, Oh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to use it on purpose. And yeah, exactly. I have my students use it on purpose. Use I'm going to have good. certain assignments where they, where I say, basically um, thinking of it as, as an assistant yes. and, and we need to be able to manage our writing process, both with an assistant and on our own. Can I coin so, this? ChatGPT is our intern. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Yeah, I mean, right. seriously, it'll summarize things for us, right. but then we have to be able to go back and understand how, what it did for us translates into practice and whether or not it's right yeah we have to check it and, and i suppose they could use it on exams but but they could use google too and, yeah and, and i've tried to construct my my exams in such a way you know, I, I write all my questions so i don't use the pool so so i try to so i try to combat just being able to use google in general by trying to draft my own exams and, and maybe make them a little bit more harder more difficult a little tricky a few tricky questions that i don't think the the, the ai can can quite handle yet and it, it might get there but uh, i think you know, it will i think you know andrew get there. the armchair attorneys are helping us because they write blogs that are incorrect um, <laughs> truly true there's i can't for the life of me think I, I, I can i remember when i was teaching the i was teaching a um, um communication for tax accountants yeah. when i first started at kelly and um I, one of the one of the stats that jumped out was like if you gave 26 tax accountants uh, a, you know, a question about calculating uh um, AGI, you'd get 26 different answers. You, yeah. And then people write blogs about it. influencers love to tell you what to do with your tax um, situations. And there's one topic in particular, I cannot think of it right now that I, my students have to do this activity. And I go, 
don't Google it. Or if you Google it, you have to make sure that you understand exactly where that source came from in the IRS yeah. publication. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to get the wrong answer. Right. There are a lot of armchair attorneys and tax accountants out there helping us. And so like that with ChatGPT, it's an aggregating source, ultimately. It's not going to come up with the right answer. It's not going to go straight I, to the IRS for that. And I, have a problem. I, I have an exercise where I have that. I have to always tell the students that because it's a, it's a, my briefing exercise where I actually give them a, a Florida case where, where I'm having them brief it and, and analyze the... the um, uh, you know, the particular rule in that case. And it's a Florida Supreme Court case. And I always tell them, you know, I'm giving you the case. So use the one I'm giving you. Yes. Don't Google it. Yes. And, and sure enough, half the class will still Google it and they'll get the core repeals case and they'll, and they'll brief that. And I'll, and I'll look, uh -huh. you got a zero because you didn't, you didn't brief the right case. You're like, I literally gave you the exact information. I know. All you do is get it off yeah. the campus. It was right there. Mine's an influencer one. Can you deduct your pet? from your tax return and to what extent can you use your pet? <laughs> oh my gosh, everybody. I did not know this until I started doing this activity. It's so fun, Andrew. I'm happy to share it if you want. Everybody has an opinion about how you can use your pet on your tax returns and not very many of them are right. So I actually texted my dad who is a tax accountant in Indiana and said, let's play a game. What if I want to deduct my cat from my, as like, or take my cat, claim my cat as a dependent or whatever, what can I do? And he was like, First of all, what, what are you doing to your students? But like, not that much, Katie, really, it's very limited, but people will tell you all of these things. Yeah. So yeah, kind of back to circle back, Michael, um, I think podcasts like this are super important. And just in what Andrew's talking about with his so many disciplines, Andrew, I thought I taught a lot of different classes and you, <laughs> wow. But understanding how to use anything new productively before um, your students start using it for evil or before you decide that you should ban it because somebody yeah. committed a grievance against you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that, that's it. I mean, what, what is the tool? What's it useful for? How can we use it? How will it be beneficial for our students to learn how to use it? I mean, these are the kinds of questions we, we need to be asking ourselves before we freak out that everyone's going to be cheating. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. Work with them, meet them where they are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, said, I, I expect some of that's why I always tell the students I, that you know if you if you can if you can Google all the answers to my my, my exam and get a hundred percent more power to you but I don't think you can I think you're wasting your time so good luck time consuming <laughs> yeah just use your bigger brain I have one final question for you I cannot believe it's been thirty minutes already but we are there wow. um, what are you looking most forward to this semester what are you excited about uh, this semester um, well. Always enjoy getting back with the with the the students and 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 hope and I get the reaction I want for, I get I want from them but by the end of the semester <laughs> that they actually feel like they you know they have a better understanding of, of, of the law. There's so much hope that first yeah. couple of weeks, right? Yeah. So and and, and usually like because you know because of the, the the type of exercises I've been using, you know I I feel like uh, you know I get more of that than I used to so. So I always have like like again for the business society class, I always make them do an exercise on how to form a, a business. You know, I give them a fact situation, I give them 10 different forms, and I say, you know, fill, fill these forms out based on the information I've given you. You know, and and the reason I'm having you do this is because, you know, when you I, I would think when you get out of business school, you gotta have some idea how to start a business from, from yeah. a legal perspective. Yeah. yeah. So and 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 I'm always interested to see how many students truly get that. And, and, I, and I'll be able to see that in my evaluations or what emails I get from students. 
Well, they'll say, you know, I, at first I thought that was just a busy work exercise, but then when I got into it, you know, I, I see that I'm going to be able to use this when I start my own business in a couple of years. So those are the type of things that make me you know, feel like it's all worthwhile when I'm when I get those type of reactions from Talk students about or, or I do another I do I do another exercise where I where I where I have the students actually uh, present their own uh, ethical dilemma that that they may face and how they solved it. And then I and I ask them to analyze it and I give them my example of one that I dealt with and, and essentially kind of you know, show them what I what I'm expecting from them using my, one of my own ethical dilemmas that, that I faced. And and you know I and, and I'm always looking forward to what feedback I get from the students on that because a lot of students will say, you know, thank you for sharing your story. You know, was, I was really you know, glad to be able to re reflect on something that happened to me in the past and think about it. So I just love getting those type of comments because it, it makes me you know, feel like the students are really you know, engaging and really you know, getting something out of, out, of the, uh, out of the work I'm having them doing that they're not feeling it's just, just busy work just to earn a grade that they're actually getting something out of it. Talk about translating assessments to learning outcomes. That is it, folks. If that's yeah, what you're aiming exactly. for, listen to Andrew talk about that because that was perfect. Andrew Swain is an assistant professor of business, business law, international tax, SALT, and everything else at the Judd Layton School of Business at IU South Bend. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. We really enjoyed talking with you. Well, thank you for thank having Thank you, me. Andrew. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Katie.